You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, this is Abraham. And this is Shane. So this is Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. Nailed it. Yes, it's about time. <laughs> and so uh, welcome to our our brand new discussion. Fresh, fresh off the grill or whatever. <laughs> whatever no however you want to describe that. I don't know. Yeah, there's probably some expression that I'm hot off Hot off the presses? There you go. Hot off the press. Is that it, is the one. Is that Thank what it you. Is? <laughs> Perfect. I get to be Tom Hanks and you could be Meryl Streep. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's awesome. are we wait, is that is that is there oh that's oh wait, that's that's a different movie. Okay, never mind. I, I was like, <laughs> that's not Sleepless in Seattle. I nope. get my Tom Hanks movies mixed up sometimes. He is a national treasure, but I can't keep up with him. There are a lot of them. <laughs> There's so Understandable. many. <laughs> okay, so today what we're talking about is how to study better. Yes. At least that's what I plan to talk about. <laughs> There'll probably yeah. be some amount of rambling that takes place, but uh, so we're going to present some studying methods and some of the research that either supported or failed to support the effectiveness of those methods. And so specifically, we'll be talking about something called the SQ3R, SOAR, which is S-O-A-R, and a couple other recommendations and reviews of other uh, acronyms, I guess, for how to study better. Yeah. So uh, Shane, have you heard about these ones? I have not. And so actually, I'm really interested in this in this particular episode and this content because I was never that kid that had to study um, or else I, I shouldn't say I shouldn't had to study, but it, it was always um, it was never in strength in my skill set. I never I never had good study habits. And so this will be, I think, really interesting to kind of see what I could have done better. OK. Is that to say that you were you like wouldn't necessarily study well, but could still perform well in class or that you just, you did neither of those things. No, I always performed really well in class as a straight A student. I got a 4.0 in my, okay. uh, in my final degree. So like I, I was always that guy, but I just never studied well. Well, if you're that guy, then good for you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you might, you'll still probably learn about either what you did right or what you did wrong, or I don't know, you know, it's interesting at least to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, I have sort of used this at various times in the past. I learned about this when I was in my undergraduate program and did try and apply this method. The problem was my procrastinating. And so I would end up being in a situation where I just didn't have the time to do this. It was just sort of hit the highlights, review the flashcards, just cram as much as I can in as little time as I can, try and do speed reading which didn't work very well for me. Not to say that it can't work. Certainly it could. I just was bad at it. But <laughs> anyway, all that is to say that today we're going to try and answer the question of just what is this SQ3R? And you could also call it the SQRRR, which is where the three comes from. Um, we're going to try and talk about how it works, if it works, and what the research says in support of this. Cool. Yeah, I think this will be an interesting uh, dive. For those of you who are graduate students or studying anything at all, um, hopefully this will be useful and maybe you'll find a way that you can study better if that's something that you struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, maybe you've been one of those people who didn't need to, but you might find something in here that allows you to do even better. And if you're one of those people who really struggle with this, hopefully this will be something that can help you feel 
I guess, more prepared to take on the rigorous requirements of academia. So here we go. We're going to give you a, maybe a tool. I don't know. Let's see. We don't even know how it works or if it works. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. <laughs> yep. Here's All right. Here's your Phillips head screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> so the what is the SQ3R or the SQRRR? All right. So what is this thing that we're talking about? This SQ3RR. So so essentially what it stands for is survey, question, read, recall, and review. Right. Yep. So. Apparently, this the acronym here is a series of recommended actions for you to take. This was developed by an American, so there's that. If that's it's, so f- it's so free. Yeah. <laughs> so free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his name was Francis P. Robinson. Uh, he developed this in 1946. And he recalled this as a study method that was particularly effective for him while he was going through his education, primarily in the 1920s. So that's cool. Like, uh, you know, he's he's kind of come up with this premise based on uh, originally like kind of like an anecdotal report. Yeah, kind of. And that also does imply, however, that the idea for this existed long before it was put to pen and paper by him. And he primarily looked at, all right, I'm developing this study method. It's the 1940s. There's not really anything better to do. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now that we don't have a war and everything. That's right. Now that that the war is over, we need to learn. We need to do some edumacating. Um, And so he actually (laughs) primarily developed this for college age and college level students. And uh, there were several iterations that have since been developed for children in the education system across a wide range of those grade levels. And what I love about this is that this was also continued to be adapted for some students who had um, different physical um, and communication disabilities like visual impairments, hearing impairments, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's so it's cool. There's different variations to adapt to the needs of the learner. Yeah. Now, always a good thing. Yeah, for sure. So it was specifically recommended for reading comprehension with textbooks or other similarly organized pieces of writing. So I think that's pretty interesting that it kind of started as like specific to um, academic texts with the focus on improving reading comprehension in relation to that stuff. Right. Right. And it's because certainly at the time. And it's continued to be the case that textbooks are just written in a very different style than another kind of information gathering like book or the way that a narrative book might be authored or the way that an expository type passage might be authored is that um, these textbooks really follow a particular organization and it made and they and they continued to do so this wasn't just true in the 1940s but if you open a textbook if you're in school right now you can grab a textbook you might have although at this point maybe they're all digital but assuming you'd have access to some kind of textbook they kind of read like how a website is often organized in that you have a hierarchical structure of topics and the intention is to deliver a piece of information in as efficiently and directly as possible following that sort of recipe guideline of how to learn. Yeah. So it's cool that they developed something specific to that particular format. So let's talk a little bit about how it works, right? So you've got the survey question, read, recite, and review. And and like you mentioned before, these this, these are kind of like recommended actions in relation to studying. Right. So 
yeah, we'll break down each one of these. We'll keep repeating those so that you just remember them and put them in context. So you're more likely to remember them still um, going back to when we've talked about how memory is essentially these, these cues, which are often developed in context. So number one, survey. What this implies is that when you sit down to go through a textbook, you're actually going to skim through the text of the section that you're reading, and you want to look at the major headings of the sections and take notice of how they're organized. Okay, so specifically, they're not they're not written in a way that they're actually trying to trick you. You know, they they actually do want you to understand what they're doing. So they specifically highlight in bold words. Now, your teacher might be trying to trick you, but the textbook is not. So if you're trying to just understand the text, again, you're looking for the highlighted and bolded words as you're skimming through initially. You're going to want to look at the graphs and the pictures, especially those that are communicating specific from the text that they're trying to say, like, this is the how we are illustrating the point we're trying to make in this particular topic. And... In doing all of this, the point is that you're trying to form some kind of idea, sort of working hypothesis, or just get an understanding of the theme about what you're reading uh, when you actually stop to sit down and read the whole thing from top to bottom. So this first part, survey of SQ3R or SQRRR, is skim through that text, look for the stuff that stands out, try and get an idea about what you're, what's going to be coming up when you actually start reading through the whole thing. All right, very cool. So the second step is question. And what we're looking at here is we want to try to come up with a question about what you're about to read. So essentially what you're trying to do with question is you're trying to um, kind of orient yourself to what information you're looking for so that you can help compare kind of what your assumptions were to what the actual text is saying, right? Yeah. Um, like, I, and this is part of that survey thing. So after you've surveyed, then the, uh, you're going to ask, okay, so what am I likely to learn or what are they going to talk about? Try and figure out what questions would be relevant. Maybe, maybe it's helpful to imagine this as like, you're going to do a uh, a trivia type quiz thing where you'll win a hundred dollars if you can get everything right. And you're going to try and you, they're going to ask questions about this chapter you're about to read. And so you're going to try and anticipate what questions they're going to ask by thinking of them, um, ahead of time and then try to remember that information specifically. Okay. So then the first R and SQ three R survey question and read. And so read is pretty straightforward and relatively self-explanatory. You're going to read the text. You want to specifically read it with that framework that you created in mind. So the one that you just went through and you skimmed everything, you maybe asked some questions, hypothesized what was going to come up. And now you're going to sit down and actually read through the text with that in mind and also write down new questions that you might think of as you're going through doing your reading. And so then the second R in that three R series is going to be recite. And it's not necessarily repeating the information out loud, but rather thinking about it and trying to recall it after you read it. So also almost like kind of like, um, like summarizing that section once you've finished it and being able to kind of put it into maybe a list of information or, or however, however you decide to recite, but right. essentially you're repeating that information after you've contacted it. Yeah. And, and this is, a time to sort of test yourself, see how well you remember. I actually did recently, I was reading an article and 
I wanted to see how quickly I read just normally. Like it wasn't even just trying to test myself to see how fast can I possibly read, but just if I sit down and read for a minute, how many words do I get through? And then I wanted to test how well I recalled. And so I read around, I think, 320 words per minute or so, but I had terrible recall. I could seriously say like one or two things about the thing that I read. And I was like, well, I felt like I understood it as I was reading it. I clearly need to go back and try that again. But that's essentially the idea is, is to just try and think about what do I remember from what I just read and do this in relatively small chunks. Because if you try and do it after you do an entire, like, I don't know, marathon reading time, uh, then you're going to have a really hard time remembering specific details. And then you're just going to waste time having to go back. So the one recommendation I've heard, which is probably something that warrants having a lengthier discussion about is, is just reading for 25 minutes or working for 25 minutes and then taking a five minute break. Um, that's, that has a specific name I, I'm not recalling right now, but, um, that would be something to continue consider incorporating in here is that you'll do this for 25 minutes and then you'll take this time to sort of recite afterward what you have been working on for that 25 minutes. Yeah, I've heard that too. And I can't remember what it is, but that, that makes total sense. You know, right now I'm in the middle of reading the dark tower again and nice. I'm like, 500 pages in the wizard and glass and it's like i had read it before and read it pretty quickly and forgot how much information was in that book those are such fun books oh my god they're so good that's yeah. that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a series of episodes that we'll do one day where we'll just talk about how great <laughs> the, the dark, dark tower, tower. is <laughs> we'll talk about stephen king and his and his stuff that he's got going on <laughs> i like All the right. i like the little crab things Dada oh check. yeah the lobs the lobstrosities the, yeah lobstrosities <laughs> so good <laughs> so good all right. So um, the final R in this is going to be review. And so basically you're going to state the, the main idea and the major points of the passage that you read in your own words, right? So you're going to take that information, you're going to synthesize it, and then try to answer questions that you wrote down at the beginning. So you're going to take all that information, you're going to take all those questions that you had, and you're going to kind of try to pull it all together at the end of this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so you can probably tell already that a few of these things have a little bit of overlap. So it's not necessarily like you will sit down and go through and like, okay, now I did the read thing. Now what's next? Okay, I did this recite thing. Uh, there's going to be somewhere these are kind of incorporated into one another. But let's give an example here of let's say that I'm taking, I don't know, chemistry. And let's assume that I have a textbook for chemistry. And so I'm going to sit down with my textbook and I'm reading chapter two, I guess. And I'm so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to skim through this chapter that I'm looking at and I'm going to look for all the major headings. I'm like, okay, I see if we're on chapter two, maybe something about gas versus metals versus something. Um, or it'll just talk, I don't know, talk about the periodic table or talk about uh, how. I'm going to stop talking about this. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to read through the chapters. <laughs> Or the, I'm just going to skim through this chapter looking for what is, whatever's bolded, whatever's going on. It's going to talk about Murray Curry, maybe. And then I'm going to try and um, ask myself, okay, so what what are they going to try and ask me about this when I read it? Uh, what is going to be discussed in this? I already have some of that information, so I'm probably going to try and question it as I do the survey part, right? Like, I'm going to read the section, like, okay, this section is called chemistry. What are they going to talk about here? <laughs> Hopefully, that's right. not what that section is called. But it's, all, it's just one chapter on chemistry. That's right. And then that's the whole book. Um, 
And so after I've done that, then I'm going to, and again, that's just skimming through. And I'm going to, as I'm skimming through, I'm going to look for those things. I'm going to try and think of those questions that are going to come up. I'm going to try and anticipate what's going to be discussed. And now I'm going to actually read through the text piece by piece throughout the chapter. And now I'm just pause after 25 minutes and think about what I've read so far. I'm going to try and remember as many details as I can. I'm going to sort of quiz myself in a way and then I'm going to state any um, any in, inside of that re recitation I think can be this review part that I want to state as I'm doing this I want to be thinking about the main idea and major points I want to try and say them in my own words not not from the text and then answer any questions that if I did write them down that uh, I'm trying to answer those and if I didn't write them down then just remember what they were and then try, try and provide the answer as I found it from the text and then I'm going to repeat rinse recycle repeat yeah so i mean ideally i think i mean all this makes sense right like it makes sense to kind of like you get organized you ask the questions you read you rehearse it you review it like it kind of that those it seems to be common sense right and, and, and so when we talk about how it works this does seem fairly intuitive absolutely so then i think it's probably safe to say that we should look at the research at totally. this, on this right because at the end of the day we want to make sure that like even though it's common sense science is not common sense Right. So we still want to go back to that science piece. Absolutely. Yeah. So although this has been reported on as the best research method or like the best study method for over about 70 years since this was developed in the 40s, even in mainstream college textbooks. So this is often presented in textbooks as not like an intro, but in that the first 20 pages that nobody looks at usually it'll say like this is how to study this textbook <laughs> and <laughs> so if you if you ever part the glue on your textbook and look at those uh you'll you'll see a brand new page that you thought was just i don't know probably credits or something uh how to cite this 20 pages of how to cite this textbook it's very commonly distributed and that being said it's been acknowledged that there hasn't been a substantial body of research to actually support that method. There has been some, and so we'll go into that now, and it certainly requires a little bit more validation from other researchers. Yeah, so let's start with the McCormick and Cooper study in 1991. So um, they had done a study that uh, applied this to individuals with specific learning disabilities and found that it was actually pretty ineffective for those students. So they didn't find any strong, robust findings related to this particular method for this group. You know, I wonder if this was before there was an adapted version of this for people who did have some kind of learning disability, or if because of this, they developed that adaptation for individuals with learning disabilities. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a worthy line of inquiry, right? Yeah, uh, that just occurred to me now, and I wish I had thought about that when I was looking all of this information up, <laughs> but there Okay, we are. most of the time we're pretty good. We're pretty perfect about this, but... Sometimes we make mistakes. <laughs> and if anybody ever were to end up trying to like find themselves in a situation like ours where you're sort of constantly trying to read about and research a very wide range of topics, it's it's so easy to find yourself in this like rabbit hole of research of, oh, well, this is, seems like it would be related to this. So maybe I'll just dive down this 20, 30 article line of research for a while. So yeah. it, it's very easy to spin out of control asking endless amounts of questions on these. And then we go off on these long tangents that nobody cares about. So <laughs> better to try and stay on. That's point. it. That's it. Let's reel it in. Okay. 
so uh, another one was came a little bit later, and I did put these all in the order in which they were published. And there were obviously other studies, but I tried to pick ones that were specifically they seem to be these important sort of steps along the way rather than incremental improvements, more like more robust uh, studies. So McDaniel and colleagues in 2009 examined just the three R's part of this, the um, read, recite, review. And this is cool. This is one of those things where uh, it's like, I think the term is dismantling, where they want to go through a particular method of something and break it down to what are the most important components, because sometimes it is all of the components and they all have a relatively equal contribution. And sometimes you find out we have this thing, it's 99% just this one thing and then 1% these other things, like maybe we can trim those away for most people. So especially if it's unnecessary. I think it like, for example, I don't, I'm going off on a tangent already, but (laughs) having done physical therapy recently, you know, um, even my physical therapist who seemed like he was really sharp on the research would say things like, these are how we typically go about uh, attempting these things. And this is what the research says. And it could be that it's just this one set of stretches you need to do, not all these 20 other exercises that are recommended. Um, That's still being worked out for now. I still recommend that you do them because, there's nothing to say that those aren't effective. We just, they might not be as important as these other stretches. So if you're going to prioritize something, do that. Yeah. It's almost like they should do a component analysis. Yeah. Which is, which was what uh, McDaniel was up to. Wow. I can't believe that was what I spent all that time talking about. Okay. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> in the study that I introed like five minutes ago, uh, McDaniel and colleagues uh, examined the, just those three R's. And it was specifically in the context of taking notes or um, rereading something. And they saw marked improvements for, um, for those three R's for the read, recite, review. Um, just note taking had a similar outcome to the three R's for um, more complicated pass- passages, but the the three R's were much faster. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, like, essentially, you're seeing like a like different different outcomes and different effects based on how it's applied in those different components. Yeah, at least at least in this one, seem to suggest that for some people, for some contexts, if they didn't do that skim and question step, where they look through they looked through it ahead of time and tried to like formulate a hypothesis about what they were going to be reading as long as they read it and they practiced remembering what they read and they tried to um engage in some comprehension activity around this then they were still likely to do pretty well cool all right so then um there was a dissertation as well that showed some improved test scores from pre to post right so so you actually saw that um with this type of method going from what the students or the, the subject knew at the beginning to when they took this test and looking at how their scores improved. There was there were improved test scores, but uh, what was kind of strange about this particular dissertation is it didn't show that there was a control group. So it didn't show that there was any way to kind of compare to any sort of group that didn't have access to this particular study. Method. Yeah, I was a little confused. I mean, I wanted to include this one specifically because uh, a lot of them didn't look specifically as test scores as their outcome. They'd more look at things like overall grades or just comprehension, or there are a lot of different ways you can measure those, obviously. And so this one seemed like it was really important in talking about those test scores. But what was interesting is that it seemed like they just had people in various versions of the SQ3R group, um, but didn't have a group do a 
like a missing component or uh, study however you study or like just review these. No, I don't know. They just didn't seem to have any sort of control. And it made me wonder how to interpret those data. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Couple quick uh, last ones, just as some updates on this. Trying to get stuff that was a little more recent. Um, in 2011, uh, an author named Carlston in the Junior of Teaching Psychology reported that the SQ3R did improve scores relative to only reviewing notes alone. And then Casson in 2012 published a, uh, not published exactly, but had a master's thesis I found online that. Uh, was actually looking at just simply students' attitudes um, in respect to these study methods and found that there was better attitude support for the SQ3R, that is that the students liked it more, but the academic performance was about the same as it was as the next study method we're going to talk about called the SOAR or S-O-A-R. Yeah, not like the S-O-R-E. That would be a problem. Yeah, right? for, for that one, you want to go to your doctor. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so the SOAR is another one of those uh, wonderful acronym things where you can say it and then it means a whole bunch of other things, right? So here <laughs> yeah. we've got um, SOAR stands for Select, Organize, Analyze, and Regulate. And so um, this was originally developed. Well, was it developed or was it that the study was 2014? I actually didn't look too much into how this was developed. It seemed to kind of spring up out of nowhere. I was looking up information about the SQ3R and then kept seeing all of these, I guess, critiques of that and saying, well, we might try doing the SOAR thing instead. And one article I found was in 2014. And what they did is they compared two groups of college students, one using the SOAR and then one using the SQ3R. And they reported a higher performance using their SOAR method. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that sounds great, but I think there were some inherent problems with that particular study, right? Um, kind of. <laughs> I mean, all right. So well, let's go into each of those components. So for the select, organize, analyze, and regulate in SOAR, select means uh, select important notes. Um, I wasn't entirely clear in reading what that sort of meant, but otherwise this seems to be re relevant in a way to both the skim and recite version or sorry the the skim and uh, question step of the uh, the sq3r in that it the way that it seemed to be described was you are going to look through and find the important things and you're going to try and determine which ones are important and that seems pretty similar yeah and then just kind of go into uh the organized part it's organized with a graphic organizer so you're looking at Taking all that, like just kind of getting getting some way or some method of organizing all that information in a way that is, you know, uh, that you can attend to or that you can, um, you know, interact with. And the next step, analyze, seems to be maybe a little bit more specific than what was specifically recommended. Beep, a little bit more specific than what was directly recommended by the SQ3R. And that and this step, the point is to try and figure out how things are related to each other. So how some of the new things, new information is related to old information or new information is related to other new information, etc. And so this is sort of a, a, I feel like a more targeted recommendation around how to go about understanding what you just read is to try and think about how they relate to one another, which is kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, I think that's cool. And then, uh, and then the final step is regulate learning by generating practice questions. So I think that that seems a little forced so they could get the SOAR acronym. Um, they could just say, <laughs> Cause I don't think they probably want to go with SOAG. 
Um, but you're generating practice questions. And so essentially you are creating uh, tools and, and methods so that you can continually rehearse information that you've gained from your notes and your organizer and stuff like that. That's a good point that re regulate doesn't seem very informative in terms of what you're supposed to do with that particular step. Yeah, they can just, I, I think that it, you know, if, if, if anybody here from the SOAR curriculum is listening, maybe change it to rehearse, rehearse by generating practice questions. There you go. That, does, that would be more prescriptive, I think. <laughs> or if you just want it to be like, yeah, gen generating practice questions, you could have it be that SOAG would be pretty good. <laughs> or, or it could just be questions, in which case it might be like SOAK, but spelled really incorrectly. Right. <laughs> yeah, which is all fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fun. <laughs> now, in looking through this, I was pretty interested because the research that I saw in the 2014 article specifically, but also in other places, seemed to be really comparing themselves to the SQ3R method and saying, hey, this is this thing that's been around for so long, but can we really trust it? Which is a valid question. Like, that's what we want to do in science is, is question what has been the status quo for so long and say, hey, maybe we got this wrong. Let's figure out if there's a better way to do it. The one thing that stood out to me, though, is every study that I saw seemed to have, have at least one person in common. And it wasn't always the same person, but there, it seemed like there was a common thread running throughout these studies of there is a very small group of people who don't like the SQ3R and who are really pushing this SOAR method. And I vaguely got the impression that they were behind the distribution of the SOAR method. So it felt like they were researching their own product and doing so in the context of dismantling their competition. So I don't, I just couldn't tell, like nothing stood out to me as a red flag in reading their studies that seem to indicate that they weren't trustworthy results. It just, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, I, I'd love to see some independent verification of this because the other independent studies that I found that weren't by one of the people who were on these other studies usually found that the SQ3R did at least as well as the SOAR, if not better sometimes. Hmm. Some, some interesting stuff to think about when you're talking about these products yeah. or these procedures. So I think it's important if we're talking about how to study and, and giving you some, some frameworks and stuff, probably, it's probably important to talk about how people do it wrong because I feel like people do it wrong a lot. Sure. And as you can imagine, the thing that is going to be doing it wrong is the thing that you've probably been doing because it's one of the easiest, and that is to procrastinate and specifically to try and cram, which is to try and di uh, digest as much information as you possibly can in a very short period of time. When you use this method of just read everything one time really fast without stopping to think about it, you're very, you're much more likely, I won't say very, but you are much more likely to just forget everything that you read, barely remember the things that you did cram into your head in that period of time. And, and it just, it won't stick. It won't apply. You won't be able to use it. You'll have a very superficial perfunctory at best memory for some of the points that you read and you're likely to miss the important information and how it works. Yeah, that's like, uh, and then and I see this a lot too, where people will cram and then they'll also pull all nighters. 
Well, they'll cram and yes. they'll stay up all night and they won't sleep. And it's like, this is that's the worst possible thing you could do for studying. That's a great point. And I should have actually included that as a caveat in that is that you also need to sleep. Matter of fact, that's just a general recommendation for life. But with respect to studying is make sure you are getting a decent amount of sleep. And if you can't for some reason, then find a way to cut back on your obligations so that you can. Yes, that makes a huge difference. So another thing that is an incorrect way to study would be relying on lists and outlines. And essentially what this does is it strips away all the information from the material that you're trying to interact with and it removes all that context. And you, essentially you don't have any cues that, that help you recall any of the information. So, so the, le the more you strip away and the more you make like a list and outline and making something pretty like a bullet point or anything like that, when you start doing that, you remove all the things that help you recall that information. Right. And I mean, you could maybe make the case that the list and outlines will work if you're doing them from memory about the thing that you already read. And then you use that to structure your studying later. But if you were to just create a list as you're reading or as you're in class and then try and come back to that. Even when I have detailed notes that I've left personally on like slides from the class that I was in, I'll often look at my notes and look at the slide and think to myself, I have no idea what was going on here. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. <laughs> and so it really is important that you, you make sure you are not, you're not studying by having stripped away the context because when it comes time to ask a question, let's say, um, where you're studying something about, I don't know, math. And uh, in, in one of the questions you come up against is you have to apply some particular formula. And you're like, I remember the section of my notes that said formulas. But, <laughs> but that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, having that context is really helpful. And then uh, another thing that people try to do is they try to remember individual facts instead of how they're related or what they mean. So like, it doesn't really make sense to remember specific bullet points or specific facts about a context or a concept without being able to maybe develop some examples or how it fits into the, the larger picture of a particular subject. Like it's really great if you're studying psychology and you want to understand theory and maybe you study psychodynamics, right? If that's what you want to study, but it's important to understand how Freudian psychology and psychodynamics fits into the greater picture, right? And, and it's, it's important to understand how or how it's kind of scoffed at and turned into something different. Um, but it's really important to understand kind of what it looks like in the greater picture of things. Like I, just an example of like how people take information and they look at specific facts and not how they're related altogether. Well, absolutely. And the if you were just memorizing like, okay, Freud talked about an id, ego and superego. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's probably insufficient to really answer any questions about about psychodynamics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just remembering terms, just remembering a few uh, few individual facts. It's much more useful for you to think of how those things are interrelated because, again, it's creating those cues that have a contextual network of relating to one another so that one cue can serve as a or one piece of information can serve as a cue for another piece of information. And then you just are going to have a much more robust way of interacting with that. Absolutely. And then um, the another another way to do it wrong, and there are probably multiple ways to do it wrong, but this is another one that we've kind of talked about is you simply read or review information without actually interacting with it. So if you're just reading it just to just like as a kind of like rote responding, you're not going to be able to recall anything. You're just kind of going through the motions. And part of this has to do with how we think about reading when we're reading something that's written for leisure, that's written as fiction, that's written for fun. And when we're, and when you're telling 
a story or when someone's telling you a story, then what you're doing is you are thinking about how that that story unfolds, like the sequence of events is really important. They create a hierarchical structure of how they are related to other parts of the story that's important. Textbooks are just not written that way. When something is being disseminated as just information that you need to know, they can't follow that same kind of narrative arc. And so it's much more difficult to just hit your throw your eyes at it once and think that that's going to stick you've got to have a better system of interacting with that information to kind of simulate what we do naturally when we're reading something that's narrative and fun and fictional oftentimes but it doesn't have to be um, because especially like a nonfiction story about a really interesting historical figure could be very riveting you know especially when well written and there are textbooks that are well-written and, and, and more engaging than others, but it's just you can't rely on the fact that their author is going to be so good that you can just scan, scan it that one time and you're good to go. Yeah, there are very few textbook authors that you're kind of like, oh, I cannot wait to get my hands on this. <laughs> like, <That's laughs> it's like, I, I think about that, like, block. right? Th- yeah, I can't think of, I mean, I, I can think of maybe like one or two that I'm like, I would read everything that person had written but yeah even then i'm like if it's a textbook i'm still not going to it going like ooh, this is you know so i don't know it's just me like like, the book comes out today i can't wait to get my hands on chemistry three (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah that's i just ooh, ooh, just i just it's riveting material yes yeah (laughs) so so there are some other things though, right? So we've talked about SOAR and SQ3R and all that, but there are some other things that are out there that might be helpful or that you might want to look into a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, these are just a couple of other acronyms and actually these are more of an initialisms about those recommended steps of action. So one of them is called the the PQRST, which stands for Preview, Question, Read, Re-Recite, and Test. And that if you can sort of superimpose that over top of the SQ3R, there's a lot of overlap. Survey, preview, question, question, read, read. Uh, then the review uh, and re-recite are basically the exact same thing. And then test, which is the review step from before. So it's like there's considerable overlap with that initialism. But if it's easier for you to remember Q, uh, PQRST, then what is wrong with you? <laughs> but other than that, then if that's the way that it's easier for you to, to do, then do that. So there's also something called the KWL, which is a graphic organizer, and it stands for know, want to know, and learn. And essentially, kind of like what you just said, a lot of the stuff really, this is the one that doesn't really have as much of the, the preview question and, and recite stuff. It just kind of gives you an idea or an organization of what to spend the most time on, right? So if it's stuff that I want to know, then I'm gonna, probably going to spend more time studying that material. If it's stuff that I've learned or that I know, then I'm probably going to spend less time on that and probably just rehearse that. Right. And you can see that also this has got some sort of some parallels with some of the other mes- methods that we've talked about in terms of uh, some of this is knowing ahead of time what you're going to learn to learn what you need to learn and then sort of testing yourself on the things that you've learned. That's sort of the the gist of what we've read about in most of these these other methods. Now, there were essentially six stages of what you can think of as being comprehension uh, that have been listed. And again, again, there's a lot of different ways to think about this. Other people do this differently. But just as 
a way to approach this and thinking about this and keeping in mind that there is a more general way to interact with this or maybe a more specific way than what we're listing, but just try to glean the important, I guess, characteristic of what we're talking about here. And so in terms of comprehension, there is knowing versus understanding where understanding is supposed to be this thing that's more, I guess, comprehensive and more complete. And then you've got reflecting, which is about bringing information to life, right? So you want to take it kind of like take that information, turn it into your own material, um, be able to translate it a little bit, personalize it and consolidate it. So you want to take all that and just kind of bundle it up into a nice package that fits Abraham's worldview. Yep. Then there's interpersonal understanding, which is it's the difference between being able to explain this to to someone and just having someone talk at you more or less. And then the um, intrapersonal understanding, which is finding it, how it personally, personally relates to you and how this relates to like real world as opposed to fake world. Um, <laughs> but applies <laughs> we, to we maybe don't do ex- fake world here. Yeah. That applies to external contexts. Yeah. And then you've got visualization, which um, can be pretty closely tied to Tony. Uh, Bu- is it Buzan? Buzan? I kind of like Buzan, but Buzan. mostly because it reminds me of Tarzan. Yeah, Buzan. Tony Buzan. Uh, and, and this idea of mind mapping. So basically you're taking all this information and you're, you're producing a kind of a, a visual representation of this information. And you can, you can do that in a way that the information is tied together. It's mapped out really well and, and, and organized in a really clear way. Right. And then finally, um, when we're talking about comprehension, there's this mindfulness and acceptance piece, which has to do with being present when you are learning these things, noticing, you know, rather than getting distracted and drifting off and being thinking about the, you know, the past or the future is being being in the moment and then being willing to engage with the material in a meaningful way. Very cool. I like it. So so there's a lot of stuff that goes into comprehension. Yeah. So, I mean, to just really hit sort of on the major points on what is being said inside of this studying thing and the recommendations that are being made, it is thinking about this in terms of how this would work, which is that we you want to remember something is sort of the overarching goal here. And so you've got to set up the cues or the the information that you want to be cues for something that you want to remember. And wrapping that around context is really important. And so essentially this is like get some context here so that when you encounter this information, it becomes a cue later on and then practice those cues once you've done that. That's sort of the gist of what all of these are talking about is you get better at at doing this by doing it. You learn more about something by interacting with it in a more meaningful way. That's the sort of overall gist here. And so you can use any of these initialisms or acronyms or suggestions that you want as in any way that you want, as long as you have those components, that's how learning sort of takes place, how memory works, that sort of thing. Yeah. Very cool. So there is this one quote that I really like. We've talked about William James before, but this one's related to academia. So I wanted to pull it in. And uh, so William James said, quote, it pays better to wait and recollect by an effort from within than to look at the book again. So he's trying to say it in a, oh, end quote, uh, trying to say it in a way that's sort of a funny, memorable rhyme. And the suggestion here is rather than I can't remember the answer. Go find it is think about it and try and come up with the answer and actually put in that effort. And then if you can't find it, go look up the information, but otherwise try and try and just do it on your own. Yeah. I like that. That makes sense. Sort of related to the tip of the tongue. It's like, I've got information. It's right there. 
I can almost feel it. There's actually been a lot of research just on tip of the tongue phenomenon. Uh, yeah. also, also called the tot. And um, because of tip of the tongue. Yeah, and, I, I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it would be fun to do a deeper dive on that later on. But anyway, there's an interesting thing. Yeah, very cool. So some take home points real quick. Abraham kind of touched on this. Practice different modalities and in different ways so that you can see kind of what works for you. But avoid those things like cramming and uh, just reading without connecting with that stuff. Like practice some of these different things and see which parts of it work for you, how they best work for you, but just continue to rehearse the information. Right. And so this is something that you'll often hear in things like education and special education and, and whatnot with the different modalities. What that means is like reading it is one way of getting the information, writing it down is another way of cementing in that information. Hearing it is another way of interacting with that information. I guess watching a video about it is another way of getting that information. And so the more different ways you have interacting with something, the more likely you are to remember it because every new way is wrapped up in a whole new context. And so you just create this really, really big, contextual network for that information and that's not to say that you need to spend like an hour learning one sentence but um, about a general topic the more you can get overlapping ways of interacting with that that general topic and the information therein the more likely you are to remember it and understand it so another point here that we mentioned is that one of the the ways and I sort of already talked about this and just thinking about the general how does this study method thing work is to think about the questions about what you're going to be learning about what you're going to be reading to try and already have an idea like i said before it's it's imagining that you are preparing for a quiz where you can win a hundred dollars if you can anticipate what the questions are and learn the information of those questions ahead of time so another thing to do is to do it spaced out in chunks okay so don't just try to cram don't try to to, to force all of your studying into a particular bit of time um, I always recommend to my students that you spend like, you know, a, a, an hour or two a day kind of reviewing the material if that's what you want to do, but break it up so that you have breaks from even within those hours. Because I've seen people that will just cram and cram and cram and then they have a hard time with the test and they're like, I don't understand what happened. And it's a lot of like, well, you didn't sleep and you studied for six hours straight. Yeah. Do a few 25 minute chunks here and there. Yeah. As you said, getting trying to get about an hour in a day. And just doing that consistently will help you establish uh, habits that are really good around sort of constantly interacting with that and are much more likely for you to be able to actually remember what you've done. And this also leads to one of the key factors about learning and just thinking about, I always like to use metaphors from like music and sports, is that repetition is key. That you don't just sit down with a piano and you're like, well, if I spend six hours on this, I'm going to be a master at piano. No, it's that you sit down and you practice for a little bit and then you come back and you practice the same thing. And people who are even really, really good at this, uh, really, really good at their craft, whatever it is, they will still practice the fundamentals frequently, you know, and it's just getting that, get the repetition down. The more times you interact with it, the more likely you are to remember it, the more likely you are to pick out other context clues and cues that are going to help you remember it, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then another take home point is try to use mnemonic devices if you can. Whatever you can do to create some kind of cues within that material, interact with that material, um, and whatever whatever's going to help you best recall that information, you want to be able to use those devices um, and, and take advantage of them. Because um, I know that I still do that. I when I uh, and when I multiply, um, I still remember songs from like third grade. Like if I have to like count by numbers. Uh, I do that by these songs wow. and not like actually, yeah, it's like, it's so ridiculous, but it's like, 
I remember those songs specifically because of those mnemonic devices. Yeah, I mean the the silly one for uh, spelling one, the I before E except after C, um, yeah. is like it's an easy thing, especially if you're spelling a word you don't usually type or spell out to just think about, oh, this is probably how this is spelled. And most of the time it's right. Um, yeah. yeah, just little things like that. It just, it makes it easier to interact with these. Um, I actually, when I, I went and learned Morse code just a few months ago, I guess it was relatively recently. And even though I haven't practiced it in a long time, when I learned it, they had all these silly little things that were, they were like trying to make images out of the dots and lines for Morse code. And, hmm. and so I even remembered a few of them when I was trying to think about like, I can't remember what this dot line combo means, but then I was like, Oh, that kind of looks like this one image. Oh, this has got to be a, a J. And it was things like that, that you wouldn't think about, but is actually very helpful in creating those cues to help that information stick a little better. Yeah. I think I remember SOS because it was three dots, three lines, and then three dots. Like that one's nice and easy, but I also had like a Ninja Turtles communicator when I was a kid that had Morse code, like a like a list on it. That's awesome. <laughs> it's so good. It was TurtleCom, dude. Very good. All right. <laughs> all right. I think that covers it, right? Yep. I think that's all we got. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Now go study. <laughs> all right. Catch you later. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. listening to why we do what we do why we do what we do is supported in part by our amazing patrons thank you if you like what you heard consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast you can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends if you have any comments or questions we'd love to hear from you find us at wwd podcast on your favorite social media platforms you can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.